Chapter 32 of Hayworths. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Hayworths by Francis Hodgson Burnett. Christian Murdoch. Christian had never spoken to Murdoch openly of his secret labor. He was always aware that she knew and understood. He had seen her knowledge in her face almost from the first but they had exchanged no words on the subject he had never wavered from his resolve since he had made it whatever his tasks had been in the day or however late his return was at night he did not rest until he had given a certain number of hours to this work often christian and his mother wakening long after midnight heard him moving about in his closed room he grew gaunt and hollow-eyed but he did not speak of what he was doing and they never knew whether he was hopeful or despairing without seeing very much of the two women he still found himself led to think of them constantly he was vaguely conscious that since their interview in the graveyard he had never felt free from christian murdoch more than once her mother's words came back to him with startling force she sits and looks on and says nothing she asks nothing but her eyes force me to speak he knew that she was constantly watching him often he looked up and met her glance and somehow it was always a kind of shock to him he knew that she was wondering and asking herself questions she could not ask him if i gave it up or flagged he told himself she would know without my saying a word there had grown in her a beauty of a dark foreign type the delicate olive of her skin and the dense blackness of her eyes and hair caused her to be considered a novelty worth commenting upon by the men of broxton society which was of a highly critical nature she went out a great deal as the spring advanced and began to know the place and people better she developed a pathetic eagerness to make friends and understand those around her one day she went alone to broxton chapel and after sitting through one of mr hickson's most sulphurous sermons came home in a brooding mood why did you go murdoch was roused to ask i thought she answered it might make me better i thought i would try not long afterward when he had gone out of the house and she was left sitting with mrs murdoch she suddenly looked up from the carpet on which her eyes had been fixed and asked her a question is it true that i am beginning to be very handsome she demanded yes mrs murdoch answered it is true a dark cloud settled upon her face and her eyes fell again i heard some men in the street speak aloud to each other about it she said do they speak so of all women who are handsome i don't know her companion replied surveying her critically and with some anxiety they used to speak so of her she said slowly she was a beautiful woman they were always telling her of it again and again and i used to go and look at myself in the glass and be glad that i was thin and dark and ugly and that they laughed at me i wanted to be hideous once when i was a child a man said never mind she will be a beauty some day like her mother and i flew at him and struck him and then i ran away to my room and fell down upon my knees and said the first prayer i ever said in my life i said oh god if there is a god strike me dead oh god if there is a god strike me dead the woman who listened shuddered am i like anybody she said next i do not know was the answer i could not tell myself if i were she said i have watched for it for so long that i should not see it if it had come i look every day perhaps i am and do not know perhaps that is why they look at me in the street and speak of me loud as i go by her voice fell into a whisper she threw herself upon her knees and laid her head upon the woman's lap cover me with your arms she said 
cover me so that you may not see my face. She was constantly moved to these strange outbursts of feeling in these days. A few nights later, as he sat at work after midnight, Murdoch fancied that he heard a sound outside his door. He went to it and opened it and found himself confronting the girl as she sat crouched upon the lowest step of the stairway. What are you doing here? he asked. I could not go to sleep, she answered. I could not stop thinking of what you were doing. It seemed as if I should have a little share in it if I were here. Are you, almost timidly, are you tired? Yes, he answered. I am tired. Are you any nearer? Sometimes I think so, but so did he. She rose slowly. I will go away, she said. It would only disturb you to know I was here. She moved a step upward and then paused uncertainly. You told me once, she said, that there was no reason why I should not be as good and happy as any other woman. Are you sure of what you said? For God's sake, do not doubt in that way, he said. She stood looking down at him, one hand resting upon the balustrade, her dark eyes wild with some strange emotion. I lie awake at night a great deal, she said, and I am always thinking of what has gone by. Sometimes lately I have wished that I had forgiven her. I have wished so too, he answered. I know that, she returned, but I did not, and it is too late. Everything is over for her, and it is too late. For a long time I was glad, but now I suppose I am repenting. She did not repent. She suffered, but she did not repent. I think I am repenting. When he returned to his room, he found he could not settle down to work again. He walked up and down restlessly for some time, and at last threw himself upon the bed and lay wide awake, thinking in the darkness. It always cost him a struggle to shut out the world and life and concentrate himself upon his labor in those days. A year before it would have been different. Now there was always a battle to be fought. There were dreams to be held at bay and memories which his youth and passion made overwhelming forces. But tonight, somehow it was Christian Murdoch who disturbed him. There had been a terrible wistfulness in her voice, a wistfulness mingled with long repressed fear, which had touched him more than all. And so when sleep came to him, it happened that her figure stood out alone from all others before him and was his last thought. Among those whom Christian Murdoch got to know was Janie Brierly. She saw her first in the streets and again in Mrs. Murdoch's kitchen, where she occasionally presented herself, attired in the huge apron, to assist in a professional capacity upon cleanin' days. The baby having learned to walk, and Mr. Brierly being still an inactive member of the household, it fell upon Janie and her mother to endeavor to add, by such efforts as lay in their power, to their means for providing for the eleven. With the assistance of the apron, Jenny was enabled to make herself generally useful upon all active occasions. Who's a little thing, but who's a sharp one? Mrs. Brierly was wont to say. Who can work like a woman? I do not know what I had done without her. You'll try her, Mrs., and see. She spent each Saturday afternoon in Mrs. Murdoch's kitchen, and it was not long before Christian drifted into an acquaintance with her. The first time she saw her on her knees before the fireplace, surrounded by black lead brushes, bath brick, and pipe clay, and vigorously polishing the fender, she stopped short to look at her. How old are you? she asked after a little while. I'm twelve, going on thirteen, was the reply, without any cessation of the rubbing. The girl leaned against the side of the mantel and surveyed her critically. You don't look that old, she said. I, but I do, returned the child. If I looks at my face, I'm stunted with nothing that's what makes me so little. She gave her face a sharp turn upward that it might be seen. 
I've had it now to make me look odd, I can't tell thee, she remarked. The interest she saw in her countenance inspired her. She became comparatively garrulous upon the subject of the family anxieties. Fayther figured in his usual unenviable role, and Granny Dixon was presented in strong colors. But finally she pulled herself up and changed the subject with startling suddenness. I've seen thee mony a time of war, she said, and I've heard folk talk about thee, and never heard him say out about thee, though. Whom do you mean? asked Christian with a little frown. Mester Murdoch. We used to see a good deal of him on the start, but we do not see him so often in these days. He's getting other places to go to the quality make a good deal on him. She paused and sat up, polishing brush in hand. I do not wonder as they say you're handsome, she volunteered. Who says so, coldly? The men in the works, and the folk as see you on the street. Some of them says you're handsomer than her, and that's saying a good bit, you know. Her is Miss French? I you do not dress as fine, and you are dark-skinned, but there's summat noise about you. I do not wonder as they say you're handsome. Never mind talking about that. Tell me something else. The termination of the interview left them on sufficiently good terms. Janie went home with a story to tell. She's crossed the seas, she said, and lived in furrin parts. She's getting queer ways and she stares at a body. But I like her for all that. Been in furrin parts, exclaimed Mrs. Barley. Bless us. No wonder the poor thing's a bit heathenish. Hast thou ever seen her at chapel, Jane Ann? The fact that she had not been seen at chapel awakened grave misgivings as to the possible presence of popery and the scarlet woman, which objectionable female figured largely and in most unpleasant guise in the discourses of Brother Hickson. There's no knowing what the poor lass has been brought up to, said the good matron, living read under the Pope's nose and never daring to say her soul's her own. I never had no notion of them firm parts myself. Give me Lancashire. But the next week the girl made her visit to the chapel and sat through the sermon with her steadfast black eyes fixed upon the Reverend Mr. Hickson. Once, during a moment of inflammatory eloquence, that gentleman, suddenly becoming conscious of her gaze, stopped with a start and with difficulty regained his equilibrium, though Christian did not flinch at all or seem to observe his alarm and confusion. She cultivated Janie with an odd persistence after this. She asked her questions concerning her life and experiences, and always seemed to find her interesting. Often Janie was conscious of the fact that she stood and looked at her for some time with an air of curiosity. Do you? she asked her suddenly one day. Do you believe all that man says to you? Janie started into a sitting position, as was her custom when roused in the midst of her labors. Eh, bless us, yes, she exclaimed. Don't you? No. Recollections of the scarlet woman flashed through her young hearer's mind. Art thou a papist? she cast. No, not yet. Art the, Janie said breathlessly, art the going to be? I don't know. And the, that does not believe what Mr. Hickson says? No, not yet. What does thou believe? She stared up at the dark young face aghast. It was quite unmoved. The girl's eyes were fixed on space. Nothing. We're where does thou expect to go when thou dees? I don't know, she said coldly. Very often I don't care. Janie dropped her brush and forgot to pick it up. Why, bless thee, she exclaimed with some sharpness, and also with the manner of one presenting the only practical solution of a difficulty. Thou'lt go to hell if thou does not repent. The girl turned her eyes upon her. Does it all depend on that? she demanded. Aye, to be sure, she replied testily. Does thou not know that? 
Then, said Christian slowly, I shall not go to hell, for I am repenting. And she turned about and walked away. End of chapter 32